Today, we're finishing up our series on being good and faithful stewards. And years ago, I made a mistake that maybe some Christians make when it comes to money. And I gave without clear direction from God. Really kind of indiscriminately without clear direction from God. The result was that I just gave it all away. Not literally all, but quite a bit. And I'll explain what I mean in a moment. You know, as Christians, we've heard the story of the rich young ruler. Jesus comes to this young man and the, or the young man comes to Jesus and says, you know, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus tells him, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And while that isn't prescriptive for all of us, there might be an aspect of us that, that says, I want to be as much, I, I want to be able to do what that rich young ruler couldn't do. And that is just give and give and give and give. And so maybe some of us out of the desire to be more spiritual, some out of, the, out of spiritual pride, that probably was me, some to maybe earn favor with, with God. We wonder, am I supposed to give in this way? And maybe at times we don't, really intentionally think about our giving. We don't talk to God about our giving. It's more of a, of a function and a habit. Christina had moved, finished graduate school, had moved from floor nursing to now doing anesthesia. She was working full time, taking weekend call that was required. And the cool thing about weekend call was they paid you even if you didn't go in or not. Uh, so she was making more money than anything I had ever seen. We only had one kid at the time, Dayton, our oldest, and he was just a little guy, so he didn't really cost us much money. He didn't eat like a 13-year-old as he does now or, or go to one of our schools yet. We lived in a small place, and, and, and rent was, was cheap. Our needs were covered. We had savings. We had sold a house, and so we had a chunk of savings. And so that year, I just gave and gave and gave and gave. We gave to, to church, of course. We gave to charities. We gave to the local firemen and policemen. Oh, sure. You ever get those calls? Can you help with the local firemen and policemen pension fund or whatever it is? It's like, sure, we can do that. We're Christians. We can do that. We gave to some of our alma maters. We gave to, to individuals. And by the end of the year, without, perp, without intention, but once we got to the end of the year, what I realized is that we had given the equivalent of my entire salary. Now, at that point in time, I have to say that it was kind of a, I was like the rich young ruler. I gave and gave and gave and just gave all of my, at least my money away. But you know, life changes. Life changes and things have a way of changing. And not too long after that, we added another son. And because we added another son, we felt like we needed more space. And so we bought a bigger house and there went some of our, there went some of our savings. And, and not being raised in a home where I was necessarily taught about the intricacies of money and we didn't discuss how to handle some money or things, what I didn't realize is how big tax bills could get when you made more money. So I had not prepared for that. Christina's job shifted. She decided because now we have a couple kids that she wanted to be home more. And so she stopped working the overtime. She stopped taking the calls. She became an independent contractor to have a little more control over the money. And I didn't realize that, oh my goodness, independent contractors, they have to pay for their own malpractice insurance. 
Malpractice insurance is expensive for people who put people to sleep because I guess people get upset when you don't wake those people up. So that's, that's, a, that's a reason. There's a reason for that. And so there went the rest, basically, of our savings. And that led us to a moment where I remember very distinctly where Christine and I were sitting in a living room, in our living room, feeling convicted that we needed to help this young lady who was a single young lady just out of her teen years, pregnant, not wed, uh, struggling. And we were trying to figure out how we could help this young lady. And we we're going back and forth on what we could afford. Just 18 or so months before, give, 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 whatever, we're good. And now to the place where what can we actually afford when my three, maybe almost four-year-old son, Dayton, walked out with his Lightning McQueen piggy bank and said, you guys, you can give her all of this. You can give her all of this. Now, I was proud of that moment with my son. But as I look back on that experience, what I realize is being a good steward of the treasures that God has given us is not just about giving, at least not giving indiscriminately. It is about knowing when to give, where to give, and preparing your money so that you can give more, so that you can give more. Matthew chapter 25 is the last sermon in our three-part uh, sermon series that we've been going through on being good and faithful stewards. Next week is Pathfinder Sabbath, and so I hope that you'll join us for that. And then the first Sabbath of March, we're beginning a two-part series um, that Pastor Matthew and I will be doing. I'll be doing part one, and he'll be doing part two from Luke chapter 15, entitled Two Brothers. But today, Matthew chapter 25, and beginning in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant, or good and faithful steward. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Three points that I want to talk about today. When to give, where to give, and preparing to give more. Let me start with the when to give. Now, when we think about when to give, I believe the Bible teaches that there is a giving immediately and there is a not yet. There's a, there's a giving now and there is a not yet to giving. I believe the Bible models this and illustrates this even in this parable here. We give now, of course, to tithes 
and I believe to offerings, to both tithes and offerings. Throughout Christendom, throughout God, the history of God's people, we see evidence that, that God has directed us to give tithe 10% of our income and then offerings on top of that. Malachi chapter three, verses seven and eight, which if you've ever heard a stewardship sermon before, you probably have heard this. But the Lord said to the people, return to me and I will return to you. And they asked him, how are we to return to you? And he said, will a mere man rob God? Yet you rob me. And then they asked him, but how have we robbed you? And he says, in tithes and offerings, in tithes and offerings. Throughout history, we see evidence that God said, bring that first 10%. And then there is an evidence for God calling us to give offerings as well. Christine and I, of course, have this set up and we set this up automatically. Our, our tithe, our 10%, our 3% to local budget, our 1% to capital budget. And then we analyze throughout the year what else that we are going to give to and whom else we are going to give to. But 10% is that non-negotiable and then your offerings are beyond that. But both tithes and offerings, there's an aspect of give, a give now call from God. But then there is the other money that we have after we do those things. And sometimes we bifurcate these things and we shouldn't do that. We, we, we've given our tithes and our offerings and we say, okay, that's God's money. And then when there's a danger that we look at the rest of it and say, okay, that's for us. That's our money. Forgetting that, that, that the master gives all of the wealth or, and all of it belongs to him. All of it belongs to him. And so there is the money, yes, the immediate that we give right away, but, but that extra is the, the giving for later, the not yet. But sometimes you can be like me and you can say, well, I have this extra, so I should just give, I should just give, I should just give. And we never actually ask God when or where or how to give. We don't involve God maybe in that decision the way we do. As I look back on that over a decade plus ago, probably 14 or so years ago, I can look at that, that time period, I can look at that moment, and, and though I can't say for sure, I'm pretty sure that I didn't spend time praying to God and saying, God, where do you want me to give or, or how do you want me to use this income? We had resources, there was a need, boom, then I'm a Christian, so I'm supposed to give. Firemen call me, okay, I'll give to you. Policemen call me, I'll give to you. We're just called to give. We're giving to the local church. Oh, you know what, it feel good? It feel good to just give a little bit extra right here. So we'll just give, not praying, not thinking about it. I got an envelope in the mail from my old school who says, can you give? You know what, I liked it when I was there, so I'll write out a check and I'll just give. Not thinking about it, not praying about it. Maybe the Lord does want us to give towards all those things, but, but he should be the one that directs our giving. It should not be based upon spiritual pride, as I think it was with me. It should not be based upon, upon uh, feelings of guilt. It should not be based upon a feeling of, well, I want to try to win favor with God. But it should be based upon the direction of God. It should be something that we do through prayer and through God's clear instruction. The reason why I believe this to be true is what I read in the Bible is a picture of a God and of a Savior who really does not ask us all to give in the exact same way. Does not ask us all to give in the exact same 
way. In Mark chapter two, if you just want to go over to Mark chapter two, Mark chapter two, we see this. I already mentioned the rich young ruler and, and we have the story of this man who was, who was rich and he came to Jesus and he wanted to know uh, what he could do for the Lord. And the Lord said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. This wasn't the first rich person that Jesus had met. In Mark chapter two, we read about another rich guy that Jesus met. Luke chapter two and verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the, of the law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, of course, Jesus said the famous lines that are so wonderful. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not called to come, I have not come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. Based on our understanding of tax collectors and who they were, we can assume that Levi probably had uh, resources and money that the average person did not have. Yet nowhere in this text do we see any indication that Jesus said the same thing to him that he said to the rich young ruler. Nowhere did he say to Levi, sell everything you have and then you can come follow me. He didn't indicate that to him. For one man he did, for another he did not. Another thing that we see in this story, that there's evidences in this story, is that God actually used the resources and the, the, the money, the finances that Levi had to witness to others. The Bible says that, that Jesus sat down in Levi's house and had dinner with many tax collectors and sinners. Levi had a big enough house, basically, in other words, to have a bit of a party to have some folks show up and to, to hang out, people that would feel comfortable in that environment. Levi had enough finances to, to provide food for all these people to enjoy and for them to eat together because people fellowship better around food. By the way, that is true. We should always remember that. People fellowship better around food. That's one of the first things they teach you at the seminary before the 2300-day prophecy or any of that. They teach you, if you ever have an event, have food. If you ever have an event, have food. It's not literally what they, they teach you first, but they do teach you that at the seminary. Have food. There's two stories about two different rich people, but neither of these stories should be prescriptive for your life and your giving. The only thing that should be prescriptive or, or determinative is that we recognize that God asks each of us to give in various manners. And that should be done and we should give through prayerful instruction from the Lord. You might be the rich young ruler. You might be Mark who only has $10 in his pocket left. You might be one of those folk that God says, give all of that that you have. But you also might be Levi Matthew, the tax collector who Jesus just said, come follow me. And oh, by the way, you have a nice big house. We're going to use that house to, to help reach some folk. When I gave all that money in one year, I was being Chad thinking, well, this is what I, I have the money, so I should give the money. I wasn't doing so based on 
conviction per se, but just personal want, personal desire. We are all to give immediately tithes and, and other offerings, but, but our further giving is based upon the when and the where directives of the master who gave us the resources in the first place, the when, when God has clearly instructed us to do so. And the where is also comes as instruction from God. God says where we should give and, and to whom we should give, and, and it should be done prayerfully. Then we can know it's done in the best manner and the best direction. Sometimes you won't understand that where. You won't understand why you are doing that, but, but trust God to lead and to guide you. Another point I want to make on the where, by the way, of where to give is this, that when we give and where we give is a is something personal between individuals and God. And we should be very careful never to judge the where of others giving. After nearly 20 years in, 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 of pastoring, you will hear conversations amongst people in which they can be judgmental. Why, is, why, are we, why are we spending money on this? Or, or why is the church doing this? Or, or why did that person give to that specific thing? You know, I'm always a little amused when people are like, I don't know why people give to the buildings as they sit in the building that they enjoy and that they're glad that it's warm and that the toilets flush and everything else. Why do people give? They need to be giving more to the, they need to be giving to the board. We're glad for both. We shouldn't judge the where of people's giving. If you go back to our original text there in Matthew chapter 25 and you just go over a little bit, we see an example of this in Matthew chapter 26 and verse six. While Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Now, we can judge the disciples here because we, many of us know the rest of the story. But, but let's face it, if someone bought a huge gift and they just came and used it all up in one moment, we would say, wow, that's really was wasteful. That's really wasteful. I mean, I know because I say to my kids, you guys, we just bought that and you already broke it. What a waste of money. Or you just bought that and we've already used it all up. Come on, guys. We need to, we need to, preserve this stuff. Let's not, let's not waste things so we can act like we know better or that we're, uh, in, uh, we can be indignant towards the disciples, but maybe we would have been like them indignant as well. But they were indignant and they said, why this waste? They asked this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Where and when we give is a very personal thing, and we should not judge others based on where and when they give, just as others should not judge us based on where and when they give. We can say this based on the Bible, that all of us are called to give immediately, tithes and some form of offerings. But in the money after that, we need to be very cautious to allow the Lord to direct people's hearts. 
You might be the woman giving directly to Jesus in a way that I don't understand, and that's okay. And I might be that woman giving to Jesus in a way that you don't understand, and that's also okay. We're called to give immediately, and then we're called to look at the rest of that money and say, okay, God, when and where do we give this? And that brings us, though, to our last point. As you might have seen, I've carried the assumption throughout the call beyond the immediate tithes and offerings. It is because I see in this parable in Matthew chapter 25 that we are called at some level eventually to give and just keep on giving. The when and the where is directed by God, but, but that extra giving that extra giving, what I see in this parable and what Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity also points out is that, is that the rest of that money, God wants us to use the rest of our income in such a way to manage the rest of our income in such a way that as it grows, it doesn't grow just for us, but it grows so that more can be given to God. Look, I got five bags of gold. I don't give that immediately away, but I've invested it in such a way. I've managed it in such a way that now I have five more bags of gold. Here, take this. And the master says, great job. You know what? I'm gonna give you even more. I can trust you with even more. Oh, I got two bags. And now I'm gonna give you another two bags. Great. I can trust you with even more. There's this idea that God wants us to manage our resources in such a way that 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 they are able to grow and we're able to give more. The growing is not simply for our own larger houses or bigger vacations or nicer cars. If you buy a house and you sell it 10 years later at a profit, that is not so that you can invest in something even larger alone. If you have a business and that business does well, that is not so that you can pocket and get more and more for you. It is so that you can look for ways to give more and more to God. If you invest in the market and the market does well, that's, that's an opportunity to give more to the Lord. You gave me five talents, Lord. You gave me five bags of gold. Look, I've invested it wisely. I've managed it wisely. And now I have 10 talents for you, Lord. Now, I'm not going to give you investment advice, but I do believe the Bible counsels us to use even the money that we don't give wisely so that we are prepared to give more when that pregnant mother comes along and says, I need help, and we're convicted to do something for them. Our church believes in this. They do this. There's a whole investment wing in our church right down the road from us. And they invest money so that there are more resources later on to help with things. There's this thing in our area called CURF, Columbia Union Revolving Fund. When I lived out west, it was called PERF, Pacific Union Revolving Fund. And, and people invest their money into that, and so that money grows. And then when people like Spencerville Adventist Church say, you know what, we want to build a school, but we don't have quite enough capital to do it just yet, then that money is used to help build that school. These investments are for the purpose of being used more and more for God's work. So whether it's that we save in a different way or we sell or we manage our money differently, we should always be thinking about how can we use our resources in such a way that they can grow, not for us, but for the kingdom of God. This parable gives evidence to that. 
that God expects us to be as wise managers of the resources he gave us. It's not that I gave my 10 and I gave my off 10%, I gave my offerings and now I'm done. But no, God says now about the rest. How are you managing that so that as it grows, you can respond when I tell you when and where to give. Those many, many years ago that we gave all of that money, I don't regret the amount that we gave, but I regret that I didn't ask God, when do you want me to give? Where do you want me to give? And how do you want me to manage this so I can best use it for your glory in the future? Folks, sometimes we're doing the right thing in the wrong way. And as we've been talking about being true disciples of Jesus, not just Christian by name, but true disciples of Jesus, we need to understand the principles of scripture so that we are doing the right things in the right way at the right time by the righteous direction of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that his kingdom grows and so that his kingdom advances. I pray that all of us, as we think about this parable, as we've talked about time and opportunities and treasures, and there's so many other things that God gives to us that can be under this umbrella of banner as you can read in Christ's object lessons. But I hope that, that as we think about all these things, all the talents that God has given us, that we will use them in such a way that they will honor the Lord, that they will advance his mission and grow his kingdom and that they will be used in service for our fellow man. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, help us to be true disciples and not just Christians by name. Lord, when we think about our time, it's very personal to us. But Lord, help us to remember that our time is given to us by you. When we think about the opportunities that come into our lives to be witness, and, and that's a very personal moment, Lord, help us to recognize that these are opportunities from you. When we think about our treasure, about our finances, and sometimes we're tempted to say, that's no one else's business, that's mine. It's, it's really not ours, Lord, it's yours. So help us to give according to the instructions of scripture. Help us to give when you call us to give, where you call us to give. And until then, Lord, help us to manage our money in such a way that when you do call us to give, we will be able to give more than we could have in the first place. Help us to this end, Jesus, I pray, as we strive through your power and your grace to not just be Christians in name, but to be true disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen.